Good morning. If you would turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. And I realize we're supposed to be in chapter 10, so bear with me. (laughs) I did take my pills this morning, my vitamins, so. (laughs) Daniel chapter 1. In verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord, you notice it's not in all caps there. That's because it's not the Hebrew word Jehovah or Yahweh. It's Adonai. But Adonai is the, the title of the Lord here. It says, And Adonai gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The Lord God Almighty is the one who gave Nebuchadnezzar the power to invade and take the children of Israel captive in Babylon. Then I want to direct you to verse 21 of that chapter. This is how chapter 1 ends, and then it will shift into uh, from Hebrew to Aramaic for the next six chapters. But verse 21 says, And Daniel continued even into the first year of King Cyrus. Let's pray. Lord God, I just want to empty myself. And just like that song we sang this morning, I need you to touch me. Lord, set me up on my feet that I can stand. Open my mouth, touch my lips, open my heart, let my mind be alert, open all of our hearts that we might behold wonderful things from your law. God, confirm your word today, we ask. Your word is true. We love you, Lord. We offer up praises, praises comely for the upright. We offer up praises in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go to Daniel chapter 10 now and dive right in. Now, chapter 1 ended saying that Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus, correct? But then we get to chapter 10 in verse 1. It says we're in the third year of this Persian king, Cyrus. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, that was his Hebrew name, which means God is my judge, was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. This is his Babylonian name. This is the name that Nebuchadnezzar had given unto him. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the time, understood the thing, and had an understanding of the vision. Okay. There's a lot to unpack here. Now, it says in chapter 1 that Daniel continued unto the first year of Cyrus. So now we're in year 3 of the reign of Cyrus. So that means Daniel's public career is over. Uh, We could say it this way. Daniel is retired from public office at this point. But he has remained in Babylon. I want to speak to a certain demographic this morning in in our church. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But we have several seniors in our congregation. Daniel is about 85 years old at this point. And there's a lot of conjecture as to why Daniel did not go to Jerusalem when Cyrus issued the decree. By the way, in Ezra chapter 1, you don't have to turn there. In Ezra 1 it says, Now in the first year of King Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of Jehovah by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord, and again, this is Jehovah, the covenant name for God. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. I love that. Cyrus didn't come up to this, come to this conclusion on his own. God did it. The Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And just like the rivers of water, he turns it however he chooses. Cyrus the king made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and put it in writing saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me the kingdoms, all the kingdoms of the earth. That's amazing in and of itself. And he had charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? 
His God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. All right. So now we're in third year of King Cyrus. He issued a decree in the first year that the Jews could go back and rebuild the temple, the house of God. But Daniel is retired from public office, and he, he, I believe he gives his Babylonian name here just so folks will understand. You realize there's been a long time, seven years have passed since Daniel was taken captive, and now he's a senior citizen. Now he's retired, but his work is not over. I want to say to you seniors in this church, and we've been working with the nominating committee this week, so this is really fresh in my mind, your work is not over. Your work is not over, as we'll see with Daniel. And, he's, and I believe he lists his Babylonian name just so the folks who have come along later on will know this is the same Daniel. This is the same guy who was the, the, uh, the prime minister in Babylon at one time. He says the thing was true. It's amazing. Now why does Daniel say that this is true? Because it's going to be rather difficult with our finite minds to comprehend the complexity of what Daniel's about to say. In chapter 11, Daniel, that the angel is going to give Daniel a vision. By the way, chapters 10 through 12 are one unit. Okay, so understand as we're studying, 10 through 12 are all the same vision. That's, we're different. We've come to the final of Daniel's visions. Daniel's an old man. He's retired. And he says, the thing, he says, the thing was true. Daniel chapter 11 is, is one of the critics' favorite chapters. And they want to say that Daniel was dated at a later date, that it couldn't have been written in the 6th century B.C. Because chapter 11 outlines the history of Israel from the Babylonian captivity all the way to the tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel. And so the critics have taken great pleasure in, in trying to, to uh, fight for a later date for Daniel. But it just, won't, it just won't rightly divide. This was written in the future because our God knows the end from the beginning. It, he's a God of miracles. And so it's not a big deal for him to predict the future. 600 years or 1,000 years into the future. Because he's God. Now it says the time appointed was long. Now in the Hebrew, there's only two Hebrew words. Savah gadol. And it means great conflict. And so even though in English it says the time appointed was long, it means there's going to be a, a long time of great conflict. And hasn't that been the case for the Jewish people? It's been one holocaust after another, one atrocity after another. Now chapter 11 is going to outline in great detail all of the sufferings they, they endured at the hand of the Ptolemy dynasty and the Seleucid dynasty. And ultimately uh, under the Antichrist oppression. But he, Daniel understood. Now in verse 2, it says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Now this is not weeks of years, as in Daniel chapter 9. Remember the 70 years we determined were weeks of years, not weeks of days. Here the phrase is different. In Hebrew, the phrase rendered three full weeks is shalosh yom shabuim. And all you guys said, yabba dabba do. <laughs> right? <laughs> Shalash yom shabuim, which means three weeks of days. The word translated full here is the Hebrew word yom, which means day. Yom kippur, day of atonement. It means day. And so it's three weeks of days. So, math class, how many days... Comprise three weeks of days. 21. 21, blackjack, that's right. 21, I know you don't play cards. I was, I was just putting that out. Okay, he was mourning three full weeks. Now there's a lot of conjecture. Daniel, remember in the first year of King Cyrus, the decree has been made that all the Jews can go back home. Right? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We should be uh, rejoicing, right? Why is Daniel fasting? And why is he mourning? Well, there's, uh, there's some conjecture here. Let's carry on to verse 3. Daniel says, In those 21 days, I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. 
Neither did I anoint myself at all. Some translations will say, neither did I use lotions. I'm not sure they had deodorants and aftershave uh, back in those days. But, um, but they would use anointing oils and spices. And it would, uh, it would be indicative of a time of rejoicing or social interaction. And he says, I didn't anoint myself at all until what? Say it in Hebrew. Shalash Yom Shabuim. <laughs> Three full weeks. See, you can't get this just anywhere. You know, you ought to be glad you get, get a little Hebrew primer here. But three full weeks. Now, and that's how many days? 21 days. All right. Now, in the 4 and 20th month of, uh, 20th day of the first month. Now, that, that first month in the Bible is the month Nisan or Nisan, depending on how you pronounce it. I'm going to go with Nisan. But that first month in the Hebrew calendar is Nisan. And if you know anything about the first month in the Hebrew calendar, that is the month that Passover falls. Passover occurs on the 14th day of Nisan. So what we have here is, is Daniel fasting for 21 days during the holy season of Passover. So what should be a time of feasting, it's one of the great feasts of Israel, for Daniel is a time of separation, a time of fasting, a time of mourning. Now some have conjecture, why is Daniel upset? Why is he mourning? Why is he fasting while others are feasting? Well, we, we, can, we can make some educated guesses. Uh, we can go to the book of Ezra. I'm not going to do that right now, but you can get to Ezra chapter 2. And what you'll find out is that out of the millions of Israelites in Babylon... Most of them have decided to remain there instead of going back. Ezra chapter 2 says less than 50,000 Jews went back to work on the temple. Now that must have been disheartening to Daniel. Because after all, he's been praying his heart out for the captivity to be over. He's endured this for 70 years. And he's, he, what he feels like should be a time of great enthusiasm has become a time of great apathy. And the people have become content in Babylon. Imagine that. The Jews have finally been given permission by the Persian king to go rebuild their temple, but they're satisfied in Babylon. Now, as I was preparing this message, I thought to myself, how could this be? And the Lord quickly reminded me that there's a kingdom that is soon coming to this earth. Jesus Christ is a king that's coming again. But I would say, if I were to hazard a guess, there is a large segment of the church that would just rather he not come back because they're comfortable in Babylon. And let that just hit, hit and, and lie where it will fall. Imagine this. Now, the rapture is a picture of the Jewish wedding. It is. We are the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. We are that entity for which Jesus died for on that cross they were singing about this morning. We are that entity, the church, for whom Jesus bled and died on the cross, and he is eagerly awaiting the marriage supper of the Lamb. Can you imagine a groom on his wedding day with a bride that couldn't care less whether he came or not to come get her? Wouldn't that make for a sad wedding? You say, why are you preaching this way, Henry? I'm just giving you from the heart of God, I believe. God longs to be with his people. And I understand we have all kinds of earthly entanglements. We have uh, businesses and we have jobs and we have children and grandchildren. And we have our relationships here on earth that we, we're nurturing. And we, uh, we, we hate to think of them being any different than they are. But can I just suggest to you that whatever your relationships are here on earth, they'll be even greater in heaven. We're going to know one another in heaven. We're going to have interaction with one another. We're going to have fellowship not just for a hundred years, but for a thousand years, and then for a million years after that. Amen. So a funeral for the Christian is not goodbye, it's just see you later. We got a date for a thousand years coming up here soon. And remember that, the Christian never dies, he only sleeps. His body sleeps, but his, his spirit's alive. So Daniel's sad, and we also find out in Ezra chapter 4 that great opposition is met, excuse me, is coming against those 40 some odd thousand that are trying to rebuild the temple. How many of you know when you try to do something for God, the devil don't like it? He's going to fight it. Anytime God's at work, Satan's going to work too. 
Where the, where the Lord is sowing wheat and planting wheat, the enemy is planting tares. That's just the nature of the devil. So Daniel went on a partial fast. This was not a total fast. Okay? He abstained from wine. He abstained from, from pleasant food. He was just eating to, uh, to live. You know, he was eating to sustain, give him nourishment to, to eat. I wonder what would happen if we would begin to lay aside some of our pleasures for the sake of the kingdom of God, like Daniel. And maybe we would just not necessarily go on a total abstinence from food, but maybe turn off the television for a few weeks. Maybe turn off the internet, get off of social media for a few weeks. Maybe put the video games away. Maybe uh, not have that half a gallon of Haagen-Dazs before we go to bed <laughs> at night. <laughs> Did that hit anybody? <laughs> it didn't hit me. I don't need ice cream because uh, it just puts weight on me. But anyway... Uh, another story for another time. But I, I just wonder what would happen if we would start doing this for the sake of the kingdom, not just to lose weight, you know, which we all need to do that, or not we all, but we, me, <laughs> need to do that. But if we did it for the sake of the kingdom, I, I just wonder what would happen. Now, in the 4th and the 20th day of the first month, I was by the, river, the side of the great river, which is the Hittichel. Now, this is the Akkadian name for the Tigris River. This is the Tigris River. And uh, unlike the visions of, of the past, where Daniel is, saw himself in a vision by the river Uli, the banks of the river, he is now actually at the Tigris River. We're not sure why he's there. We're not told. Now, in verse 5, he says, I lifted up mine eyes and, and looked, and behold, you know, this is a, a dramatic uh, verbiage here, behold a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with the gold of Uphaz. And we don't know what in the world Uphaz is or where it is, and so it would only be speculative for us to, to try to comment on that this morning. But his body was like beryl. Some translations will say topaz. The implication here is some translucent, uh, radiant, glorious jewel. His face is the appearance of lightning. His eyes as lamps of fire. His arms and his feet in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. Wow. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Wow. Wow. Therefore was I left alone and saw this great vision. Now I want you to under look at the description Daniel gives. There remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned into me corruption. This is dramatic. Some translations will say my color turned to a deathly pallor. And I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. Oh boy. This is an unusual visitor. This is an unusual man. Now, Daniel is no stranger to angelic visitation. Can I get an amen? amen? In the last chapter, we read that Daniel's praying, and while he's praying, Gabriel taps him on the shoulder and, and says, you can stop praying now, I'm here. That's the interrupted prayer. You know, and we calculated by reciting the, the prayer in Hebrew that it takes about three minutes to pray that prayer. So... Daniel prays, and within three minutes, the angel's tapping him on the shoulder saying, Okay, okay, Daniel, you can stop praying now. I'm here. Now, Daniel is familiar with Gabriel. So, here is where there's some controversy among Bible commentators. Some say that this certain man was an angel, perhaps Gabriel. And they, they, uh, they reason that because when you get to, in a few verses that there's this entity called this fallen, fallen angelic being called the Prince of Persia who was able to withstand uh, this, this angelic being, if it's an angel, 21 days. And we say, well, the Lord would never be detained by any demonic power. Amen. You know this, the Lord is not, the Lord and the devil are not equals. They're really not even rivals, you know, because the devil is a created being. Now, you could say Michael and the devil are kind of, you know, warring factions. But, but Jesus and Satan are not, are not on any kind of equal playing field. One is the creator and the other is the created being. 
Satan is a created being. Now, he is a, a, definitely a formidable foe, and so we don't take, take it lightly. So some say that this, could, this is an angel. Some say this is Gabriel, even though the response from Daniel would be unusual. I mean, he's met Gabriel before, and they've had Gabriel's the one who showed him the vision of the 70 weeks. So why is it now that Daniel is, uh, he's 85 years old, he's no spring chicken, this is not his first rodeo. Why is it that now Daniel is overwhelmed to the point that he has no strength and his comeliness has turned to a deathly pallor and he falls at the feet of this certain being as a dead man? Well, I believe the answer is found in Revelation chapter 1. So I invite you to turn there if you want to. Hold your place in Daniel. Revelation chapter 1. And we find another old man named John, who is also a beloved disciple, like Daniel, a man greatly beloved, who's also in exile on the Isle of Patmos, just like Daniel's been in exile in Babylon and now the Persian Empire. Now there's another aged, beloved disciple in exile as an old man. We don't know exactly how old John was, but he's no spring chicken. And this old man is on the Isle of Patmos for the word of God. And it says in verse 12 of Revelation 1, I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. Remember Daniel spoken of this same Son of Man. Clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Hmm, I wonder if it's that same gold of Uphaz, perhaps. And his head and his hairs were white like wool. Now, Daniel doesn't describe the hair white like wool, but remember this is post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, post-ascension. Um, white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like what? Flame of fire. What did Daniel say? They were like burning torches. They were like burning lamps. His feet were like unto what? Brass, just like Daniel's vision. And his voice as a sound, now Daniel says as of a multitude, but here John says as of many waters. I believe because of the integrated design of the Bible that the reader of Revelation is supposed to connect the dots and see that the same man that Daniel saw at the Tigris River is a pre-incarnate, image of the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. He's the same man that John's seeing. And for the Jews, that should trigger with him, oops, the Messiah has already come. He's already come. Daniel saw him back in that day. And when John saw him, notice in verse 17, we're still in Revelation 1. When I, now this is the guy that leaned on Jesus' bosom at the Last Supper. This is the guy that was in the inner circle with Jesus. This was one of the top three the big guns, one of the sons of thunder. And, and, and he says, when I saw him, I gave, I gave Jesus a high five. Is that what it says? I gave him a fist bump. I said, wow, I've been waiting to meet the man upstairs. Don't call him that. He's not the man upstairs. He's God. What did it say? I fell at his feet as dead, just like Daniel, prostrate on the ground. And if I could get back up, I'd do it for you. When I'm scared, I might not be able to get back up and, and preach. But he fell at his feet as a dead man, unable to speak. And it's reminiscent of all these other pre-incarnate appearances of Christ. You know, when Job finally got a revelation of the Lord, Job said, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. There was a time when Job felt really self-righteous. God, I don't know why you're letting this happen to me because I'm a good guy. I've been trying to dot all the I's and cross all the T's. I'm basically a good person inside. But when Job got a revelation of God, he said, I am hating myself. When I See, our problem is we're always comparing ourselves with each other. And as long as you use some other person as the gold standard, well, you're going to be able to, to, to think you're doing okay because there's always somebody doing a little worse than we are, right? Those are the ones we talk about. Those are the ones that we gossip about. Those ones who are doing a little, less, a little worse than we are. Or really the ones that are doing the same things that we are, if we, if we would be honest. Because Paul says the one that judges doeth the same things in Romans chapter 2. 
But when, when John and when Daniel get a revelation of Christ, they failed. When Isaiah, who was a good man, Isaiah was a righteous prophet. But when Isaiah got a vision of the Lord high and lifted up, he said, woe is me, woe is me. Prior to that, he had been pronouncing woes on the nation of Israel. Woe unto him that does this, woe unto him that does that. But when, God, when Isaiah saw God, it was no longer woe is them, it's woe is me. Because the Lord is high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. He's a glorious Savior, folks. He's a living Savior. He's a great God. He's not the baby in Bethlehem anymore. He's not the one that wore sandals walking the shores of Galilee. He's the resurrected Son of God with eyes as a flame of fire and His feet like fine brass. And if He were to step in these doors right now, you and I would hit the floor in short order. We get too comfortable with God. Listen. We need to understand that when we come into this place, we're standing on holy ground. Because Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. The Lord is here. And though we can't see him, he is very much here. And he's holding me in his hand, the Bible says in Revelation. He holds the seven stars in his hand. God's got me in his hand. And, and you say, well, I don't like the preacher. Well, the God will deal with the preacher. <laughs> God will deal with the preacher. And he does. He will deal with me and he'll deal with you. To every church in the book of Revelation, Jesus said, I know your works. We might not know what's going on with everybody else, but God knows what's going on with us. Daniel saw a vision. Now, the best explanation I can get, let's go back to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel saw the glorified Christ. And the best way I can reconcile these things, Daniel chapter 10, is that, that the Lord was the first vision that that uh, Daniel saw. He saw the pre-incarnate Christ Jesus. And I believe the next messages that he gets are from angels. We're not told if it's Gabriel or whoever. Uh, and so where scripture is silent, I'm going to stay silent. But, but if you notice when you get to verse 10, it says, Behold, a hand touched me. It didn't say his hand touched me. It says a hand touched me. Now this is not unprecedented. If you've ever read Genesis chapter 18, there's another old man. He's about 99 years old named Abraham. And the Bible says that the Lord came with two angelic beings to visit Abraham. And they had a meal there in, uh, in Abraham's tent. So this is not unprecedented that the Lord would travel with an angelic host. Or at least with these two. A hand touched me which set me on my knees and put me on the palms of my hands. <laughs> I love that song, He Touched Me. Thank you. Thank you for picking that out. Thank you for being prayerful in your selection of our, our songs and, and being led by the Holy Spirit. Daniel was touched. He had to be touched even to get up on his knees. Do you see that? He's not, on his, he's not standing on his feet, but he needed an angel to help him just to get to his knees. If we would get a revelation of who God is, I believe we'd have that same response. Now, this has not happened very often with me. I wish, it were, I wish it were not the case, but there have been times in prayer with God that the presence of God was so intense, I thought, Lord, if you don't just back off a little bit, I'm not going to be able to stand. Now, those times have been few and far between. And I'm a man far from what Daniel's character was. But I just wonder what it would have been like, how overwhelming it must have been for Daniel. He had to have help by the angel just to get on his knees and his hands. And he touched me, and he said, Oh, Daniel, a man greatly beloved. This would be said three times between chapter 9 and chapter 10, that Daniel's a man greatly beloved. These kinds of experiences are reserved only for, for God's choicest vessels who would sacrifice and be faithful. It's not for the, the novice. It's not for those who, who, who never pray. It's not for those who never sacrifice anything. These experiences are few and far between, and they are reserved for men like Daniel. Men like Abraham, men like John, who have hazarded their lives for the kingdom of God. Those who have lived exemplary lives. But can I tell you this? Daniel is not the only one that Jesus loved. John is not the only one that Jesus loved. If you are a, a person here breathing and sitting, occupying space in this church today, you are a person that God loves. Amen. For God so loved the world. Amen. Not just the elect, but the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Amen. 
Then you get over into the book of Romans, and Paul says God demonstrated his love for us. The King James says commendeth. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Hallelujah. I don't have to get right to get God to love me. God loves me as messy as I am. He loves me too much to leave me that way. But he loves me just as I am. And he calls me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. The physician is not here for those who are well, but for those who are sick. Amen. And we all come into this world sick with the disease of sin. And now, he says, Daniel, greatly beloved. You can just put your name in there. Just write your name in there. Anthony, you're beloved. Gina, you're beloved. Sharon, you're beloved. You, Daniel, you're beloved. Don, you're beloved. Richard, you're beloved. Dolores, you're beloved. Lori, you're beloved. God loves everybody in this room. Hallelujah. Everybody in this room. Amen. The words that I speak unto you. And then he says, stand upright. And unto thee am I now sent. This tells me again that this here, we've switched characters. Because God is not sent. God does the sending. So this is an, this is an angelic being here. And when he had spoken unto me, notice Daniel, he stood Trembling, He's still overwhelmed with the vision of the glory of God. He's still overwhelmed with it. Then he said unto me, fear not, Daniel. Why would he tell him that? Because Daniel's scared to death. You don't need to be told not to fear if you're not fearful. <laughs> he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. He can sense, the angel can sense that. You know, over 360 times in the Bible, you'll see this phrase, fear not. God doesn't want us to live our lives in fear. Paul told Timothy, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. John would say, perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He who fears is not made perfect in love. When you get a vision of how much God loves you, you won't have to be afraid of anything in this world. The man who fears God need fear nothing else. He said, fear not, Daniel, verse 12, for from the first day, how many days did Daniel pray? 21 days. I'm going somewhere with this. That's why I keep giving you a math problem. From, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to chasten yourself, how did he chasten himself? By fasting. That's partial fast. And by the way, this Daniel fast that has is, is, is become cliche, you always see the TV preachers talking about the Daniel fast in January. First of the year, the TV preachers always talk about going on the Daniel fast. Going on the Daniel fast does not twist God's arm to make him do something that he didn't want to do. It helps you to align with his plan. <laughs> it, Daniel was not trying to get God to do anything. He was trying to get better understanding of what was going on. He says, for your words I'm come. I love that. Notice at the end of verse 12, he says, your words were heard, and I am come for your words. We need to get praying, church. Amen. We do, because God answers prayers. Prayer, listen, I'm a big advocate of the sovereignty of God. You know this. God's in control. God is on the throne. God is sovereign. But God in his providence has chosen prayer as the means by which his will is done in the earth. That's why for nearly 2,000 years we collectively have been praying this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth. And one day it will. And every wrong is going to be righted. Every wrong will be. And it won't be by the social justice warriors of our day. It'll be by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the only one that can fix this mess. I got to keep going. Verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. Whoa. This is not Cyrus. This is not Cambyses. This is not Darius Histospis. This is not Ahasuerus. This is not Artaxerxes. Who is this Persian entity? He's a fallen angel. He's a demonic power. And he had withstood this angel for how many days? Oh, interesting. 21 days. Same amount of time Daniel's been praying on the earth. Daniel has no idea what's going on up there. He's just down here praying to God, fasting, humbling himself before God. But while he is waging war on the earth, war is waging in the heavenlies. And I'm about to open up your eyes to a great spiritual truth this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to me to help me. 
This is another reason I know this is not Jesus, because Jesus wouldn't need Michael to help him. Because Jesus created Michael, <laughs> just like he created every other being in the, in the universe. And I remain there with the kings of Persia, plural. So here we get a great insight. And that is that behind every conflict on earth in the natural, there is a conflict in heaven in the spiritual. The reason your world and my world is in the mess that it's in today is because there are forces of darkness that are seeking to wage war against the kingdom of God. Amen. Just like there's a prince of Persia back in those days, and I believe there still is, Persia is, is, is modern-day Iran, and it will come into power, come into play again in the future. Mark my words. Once the news quits reporting on COVID every day, 24-7, you'll, you'll hear some more things about the Middle East. And that's where your focus needs to be. The stuff that's going on in Afghanistan, it's a shame, it's a mockery, it's, a, it's a, an atrocity, it's horrific. But guess what? It's not just happening in the natural. There are things going on in the heavenlies. Amen. There's a principality of Afghanistan, no doubt. There's a principality, I believe, that's attached to the United Nations. That's why they hate Israel the way they do. I dare say there's a principality, there's a prince of the United States, there's a demonic power. Why do you think we have the problems we have in this country right now? Do you realize this morning, and you can get mad if you want to, but, but do you understand that the problems, the issues that we're dealing with are bigger than Republican and Democrat and Libertarian? The problems that we have now are spiritual problems. It's a, it's a war between light and darkness. And you've got to choose which side you're going to be on. But we know what the winning side is. You know what? You want to know why there's so much racial conflict and tension? It's not because the average person hates their brother, hates their neighbor. It's because the devil is inciting all of this violence and anarchy and lawlessness and division. Amen. He, God is not the author of confusion or division. Satan is. That's why he's got us fighting each other on social media over masks and vaccines. I see people that have been friends for years have quit talking to each other over this stuff. Listen. We got to learn how to love each other and learn how to agree to disagree about things. In all the things, we, we, uh, we are to exercise charity toward one another. The great conflicts are, are because of demonic powers. Now I am come, he says in verse 13, to make you understand which shall befall, notice again, your people. This is not for the church, this is for the Jews. Your people. In the latter days, forget the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground and I became dumb or mute. I was not able to talk. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men, and we might conjecture that this is another angel. One of the sons of men touched my lips, and then I opened my mouth. Notice how many times Daniel's getting touched. <laughs> Remember that show, Touched by an Angel, years ago? It had no biblical basis whatsoever. But this is the biblical account of being touched by an angel. And here Daniel's being touched. And he touched his lips. You know, that was my prayer this morning before I got up in the pulpit. I said, God, touch my lips. Amen. Help me. Help me to speak your words. Amen. And he spake and he said, and he stood before me. Verse 16. He says, oh, my Lord. Now, the word here is not Adonai. That's why the Lord is not capitalized. It's Adon. And it would be much the way we use the term sir. Uh, term of respect. Um, he says, Lord, by the vision, my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this, my Lord, talk with this, my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remained no strength left in me, neither is there any breath left in me. Wow. I mean, Daniel couldn't even breathe. Then there came again and touched me. How many times is Daniel getting touched here? He needs a lot of help. I need a lot of help, too. He touched me. He, I, was so, yeah, I was so thrilled when y'all sang that this morning. I, just, I wanted to just jump up and run around the church, but I didn't. He touched me. He touched me. And you know God will touch you? We can reach out and touch him. We can grab a hold of him and his garment, but God will touch you. James said, draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Submit unto God, therefore. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He touched me. And one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me. And he said, O man, verse 19, greatly beloved. You can put your name in there too. What does he tell him again? Don't be afraid. That's God's word to you and I today. Don't be afraid. 
Don't watch the news all day long. If you watch the news all day long, you're going to be in a state of constant panic. You will. Don't be afraid. Be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened. And said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. I like that. Daniel said, you've helped me, now I can listen. See, a lot of us are busy to talk. But Daniel said, I'm strong now, I can hear. When was the last time you treated prayer as a dialogue instead of a monologue? Uh-oh, y'all got quiet. You know, because I do the exact same thing. I get down on my knees and I pray. And when I've said my peace to God... And I've treated it like an intelligence briefing, which it's not, because he knows, already knows what I have need of before I ask. And when I make him aware of all of my problems and all of my concerns, what do I do? I get up and I go so many times. But what if when we stop praying, we say, okay, Lord, I'm done talking now. Speak for your servant hears. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of God would say unto the church. Then said he, No, wherefore I am come to thee. And Daniel's thinking, No. <laughs> That's what we're thinking too, right? <laughs> I have no clue. Do you know why I'm come to you? And now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I'm gone forth, lo, the prince of Greece will come. Whoa. What's that all about? Well, after the Persian Empire's done, who's coming in? A young fellow by the name of Alexander. <laughs> He's coming. And what does this tell me? It tells me that Alexander was not just a military genius, but he had some demonic powers that were helping him do what he did. Do you realize that? Do you realize being like Adolf Hitler, they're not just you know, evil geniuses, they're empowered. I, I've read things about Hitler that he communed. Supposedly he communed with spirits, with the occult, uh, during his, uh, his tenure when he was re reigning... Havoc and, and killing nearly six million Jews. When I'm gone, the prince of Greece will come. But I will show you what is noted in the scripture of truth. Some, some translations will say the book of truth. This is God's book. This is, not, this is not your King Jimmy Bible here. This is God's book, the book of truth. And there is none that holds with me in these but Michael, your prince. Michael is a special angel charged with guarding the nation of Israel. We'll find him again in Revelation chapter 12 where Michael is fighting against the devil and his angels. And, uh, and we get to chapter 11 because verse 1 of chapter 11 is connected to this. And it says, Also I in the first year of Darius the Mede, even I stood to confirm and to strengthen him. Now, I believe that the angel is talking about strengthening Michael here, not that he strengthened Darius. He might have. I don't know. But I don't know of any great thing that Darius did other than throw Daniel in the lion's den and hope for the best. <laughs> I don't know, but... Uh, but, but I, I believe that he's talking about how he helped Michael. Michael helped him, and he helped Michael. Whoa. So what's our takeaway from all this? Go to Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll bring this home. Ephesians chapter 6. So what does any of that have to do with me? This, this seems like some far out thing. Angels and demons and... Warfare, all of that just happened in the days of Daniel, right? That's, that's not for today. Is that what the Bible teaches? No, not at all. And I'm amazed that more preachers don't talk about it, but, you know, when the Enlightenment period happened, the 19th century and, and such, it became passe to talk about the miraculous chapters of the Bible. You know, the devil would be glad for us to, to err on two extremes. Either to see him under every rock and to become so demon conscious, we're more demon conscious than God conscious. He'd be content with that. We know people like that. They think everything's a demon. You know, if you, if you sneeze, they think it's a demon of COVID or something. Uh, if, if, you, if you get a flat tire, it's a demon that did it. No. Your tire just wore out. You ran over a nail or something, you know. I overslept. A demon possessed my alarm clock. No. <laughs> you stayed up too late. Or you forgot to set your alarm. But the other end of the spectrum is to believe this caricature of Satan that the world has scripted for us. That he's some cartoonish character with red, uh, red cape and pitchfork and horns. How many of you remember the old Flip Wilson uh, skit? Remember him? He had the angel on one hand, on one shoulder, 
and he had the devil on the other shoulder. And what was his famous line? He'd say, the devil made me do it. And some of you young folks are like, who's Flip Wilson? Google it. <laughs> A lot funnier than the mess that's on today. But, uh, but anyway, the devil would love for you to believe that he's some cartoonish caricature. But he is a formidable foe. Ephesians chapter 6, are you, are you there? I wanted to give you plenty of time. That's why I waxed long in my delivery. All right, notice what Paul says in verse 10. Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You realize this is not a request. This is a command. This is not phrased in the form of a question or a request. Why? Put on the whole armor of God, not part of it, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Why do we need to do it? Paul said, I'm glad you asked. He said, because, verse 12, for, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Can I preach there? And I'll get, I'll get done, I promise. We are not at war with each other. The war is not with whites and blacks and Hispanics and, and Asians. The war is not with church members. The war is not with the pastor and the deacons. The war is not with whoever. The war is with Satan. That is the war. The battle is not between, and I've seen the devil divide homes. And if you can just ever get this in your mind, the battle is not between husband and wife. How many marriages are destroyed because they don't understand the spiritual conflict that's going on? See, Satan's kingdom is not divided. And he understands this. I preached about this Wednesday night. Watch the video if you didn't get here on Wednesday night. And I know most of you didn't because I was here. <laughs> but in Matthew 12, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> couldn't help myself. Matthew 12, Jesus said, every kingdom divided against itself will not stand. A house divided cannot stand. And that's why Satan seeks to divide us. But our war is not against flesh and blood. Your war is not with your neighbor. Your war is not with your co-worker. Your war is with the devil. And if we can ever stop warring in the flesh, Paul says the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling out of strongholds. How do we pull down strongholds? The same way Daniel did on our knees. Same way we did, the way Daniel did. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. The Greek word is archaic. Archaic. It's the same entity that Daniel encountered in Daniel chapter, excuse me, that, that the angel encountered in Daniel chapter 10. The prince of Persia. These demonic powers are still in play. That's why our world is in conflict. That's why our world is in chaos. It's because there is a world in another dimension that we cannot perceive with our natural eyes, but it's just as real and just as tangible as this podium I'm touching right now. There are, even in this room, if God were to open your eyes right now in this room, if he were to open your eyes, you would see angels, you'd see demons. You say, are you trying to scare me? No, I'm just, I'm telling the truth. Does the devil come to church? Oh, yeah, he, he does. He rode with you this morning. Don't look at your spouse. He rode in the car with you. That's why you fight on the way to church. Hey, we solved that problem. Me and Lori, we ride separate. You can fix that problem. And by the way, if you do that, people will drive, away, drive by and say, man, the parking lot's full. What's God doing over there? <laughs> we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. We don't fight on Sunday mornings. I'm just kidding. We, uh, we drive separately because, you know, we got different things going on. <laughs> against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Whoa. And against spiritual wickedness in high places. Some translations will say heavenly places. You say, is this real? Well, obviously Paul thought so. The man who wrote most, most of the New Testament. The one who had been to the third heaven himself. The one who had seen Jesus himself. The glorified Christ. I think he would know what he's talking about. So... Paul says, you got to understand there's a great conflict that's going on. You say, well, what am I going to do about it? I'm glad you asked. He says in verse 13, wherefore? Take unto you. Notice that word wherefore. It's a coordinating conjunction. And when you see a wherefore, you need to look and see what it's there for. Sorry, I can't resist. I always do that. And that always sounds so goofy. Every time I do it. 
When you see a wherefore, look and see what it's there for. Paul says there are demonic realms, and there's four mentioned. Four is the number of the world, by the way. There's four realms. There's, there's spiritual wickedness in high places, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness. And, and, and Paul says, because of these things, you and I are not left defenseless, but we must take on. Notice he says, and this is a command, take unto you. That's not a request. You must pick up the whole armor of God, not just one piece. How many military personnel do we have in here, retired or active duty? Thank you all. I salute you. God bless you for your service. We need to pray for our servicemen. Every one of them. Pray for our servicemen. Pray for them. But when you go into, a, uh, when you wear your uniform, would your commanding officer be okay if you wore a, a portion of your uniform? If you had on your dress blues, but then you, you wore a, a, a wife beater t-shirt with it? <laughs> Cut off sleeves, would he be cool with that? Would, would they? No. Why is it that we go into battle with part of the armor? Take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. That's number one. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. That's number two. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's number three. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. That's number four. And take the helmet of salvation. Notice it's not enough to have ownership. You've got to wear it. You say, well, I'm saved. Yeah, but you still got to wear your helmet. Ownership is not the same as wearing. That's number five. The, the helmet of salvation. Number six, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. By the way, the Greek word there is rhema for word, and it's the spoken word. When Jesus was attacked by the devil, when he was tempted, three times Jesus did what? He quoted the Bible to him. He spoke the word. That was the rhema. Most books written on spiritual warfare, they stop after number six. But six is the number of man. There's a seventh. Do you see that? The seventh one is what? Verse 18. Praying. Always. With all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And watching thereto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. See? Most of the armor is defensive. The loin girdle, the breastplate, the helmet, all of that. Those are defensive, and I preached on it several years ago. Most of it. You only have two offensive weapons. Number one is the sword. And by the way, if the only time you open this thing up is on Sunday morning, you're not taking the whole armor of God. You need to live in this word every day. You need it. You don't have to read a, a whole chapter every day, but, but read something. Stay in the word of God. The word of God. And then the other is prayer. Now, think about this for a moment. How many days did Daniel pray? 21 days. How many days was the angel withstood? 21 days. What would have happened, I wonder, if Daniel had stopped praying on day 20? We may never have Daniel chapter 10 through, through 12. We might not ever have it. I wonder how many of us stopped praying right before a breakthrough. You've heard the old cliche, it's always darkest just before the dawn. I believe that many times we're just on the verge of a breakthrough when we give up. The Bible says that we will not, we will not uh, lose heart. We don't need to lose heart because in due season we will reap if we faint not. We need to keep praying. Men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. We just stand this morning. What's our takeaway? Well, Daniel, Daniel was in retirement. But he was not retired from the Lord's service. He was retired from Cyrus's kingdom, but he was still in the Lord's army. I don't care how old you are, and you say, well, I can't do this anymore. All I can do is pray, as if prayer was some lesser work. Prayer is not the lesser work. Prayer is the greater work. I truly believe that there will be people with great reward in heaven, people that you've never heard of. You've never seen them in a their name in the bulletin. You've never seen them on television with a prolific ministry. But some faithful widow, some faithful widower in his prayer closet or in her prayer closet, making war, waging war in the heavenlies on their knees. And the reason that we're not getting the breakthrough that we get is because we're not praying. What would happen if we would begin to sacrifice some for the kingdom like Daniel? And I'm not asking you to do some big thing, go without food for 21 days, but maybe just lay something aside. Lay something aside and take that time that you would use indulging in that activity.
or that indulgence and pray and seek the face of God and see what God wouldn't do. And I believe that when we pray, just like Daniel, we'll have understanding of what's going on in our world. Number one, we'll have discernment. But number two, he'll touch us. We serve a God that can be touched. The Bible says we do not have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. God can feel what we feel and he cares about us. We can cast all our care upon him because he cares for us. He knows every hair on your head. God wants to touch you this morning. He wants to touch you when you leave this place. And finally, don't ever lose sight of the fact that you and I are in a great conflict. You can choose to ignore it, but the battle will rage on anyway. You can choose to ignore it at your own peril, or you can do what the Bible says to do and take unto you the whole armor of God, not just those defensive elements, but also the offensive. And you can begin to pray. You can begin to speak the word of God over your situation and watch and see what God will do. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, time is running out. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm talking about putting your faith and your trust completely in Jesus Christ. Experiencing a new birth, being born again. Saying, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I commit my life to you. And all things will become new. Old things will pass away like Brother Don said. Not just a few things, but all things will become new. Christ is offering new life for you if you'll come to him. Would you come just as you are?
God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. He is. I want to thank our nominating committee that's been working uh, this week, uh, Misty and uh, Don Moore and Lynn Ray. And we have, I have the list here of the recommendations of the nominating committee. Understand that this is not written in iron and, and stone. So if there's some issue that you see here this week, feel free to discuss that with the uh, nominating committee and do it in a, in a kind way, please. But uh, if you've been left out and feel like there's some area of service that, that you would like to be involved in and you've not been asked, don't let that be a barrier to you because it would just be an oversight. Uh, it wouldn't be anything intentional. So uh, th these are going to be submitted to you. I'm going to leave them up here on the, the pulpit. And if you want to get those, just get one per family if you would. We only had like 60 copies, so if you could share as a couple, we'd appreciate that. Remember also our Sunday night singing tonight, our fifth Sunday singing. We got a good lined up tonight, don't we? Yes, sir. All right. And we just look forward to worshiping 6 o'clock, right? 6 o'clock, fifth Sunday singing. And I just love each one of you. I hope you have a blessed afternoon. And I hope to see you tonight for the, uh, for the singing. I'm going to ask Brother Don Moore if he'll close us in prayer.